Hello, my darling, and welcome to today's story time. Please remember to like, comment, and subscribe. And now, on with our story time. It was the coroner, seated near a window overlooking the yard, who first noticed the glow about the well. Night had fully set in and all the abhorrent ground seemed faintly luminous with more than the fitful moonbeams. But this new glow was something definite and distinct, and appeared to shoot up from the black pit like a softened ray from a searchlight, giving dull reflections in the little drowned pools where the water had been emptied. It had a very strange color, and as all the men clustered around the window, Ami gave a violent start. For this strange beam of ghastly miasma was to him of no unfamiliar hue. He had seen that color before, and feared to think of what it might mean. He had seen it in the nasty, brittle globule in that aerolite two summers ago. Had seen it in the crazy vegetation of the springtime had thought he had seen it for an instant that very morning against a small barred window of that terrible attic room where nameless things had happened. It had flashed there a second, and a clammy and hateful current of vapor had brushed past him, and then poor Nahum had been taken by something of that color. It said so at the last, said it was the globule in the plant. After that had come the runaway in the yard, and the splash in the well. But now that well was belching forth to the night, a pale insidious beam of the same demonic tint. It does credit to the alertness of Ami's mind that he puzzled, even at that tense moment, over a point which was essentially scientific. He could not but wonder at this gleaning of the same impression of a vapor glimpsed in the daytime against a window opening on the morning sky and from a nocturnal exhalation seen as a phosphorescent mist against the black and blasted landscape. It wasn't right. It was against nature. When he thought of those terrible last words of his stricken friend, it come from some place where things aren't as they are here. One of them professors said so. All three horses outside, tied to a pair of shriveled saplings by the road, were now neighing and pawing frantically. The wagon driver started for the door to do something, but Ami laid a shaky hand on his shoulder. Don't go out there, he whispered. There's more to this, more that we do not know. Nahum said something lived in the well that sucks your life out. He said it must be somewhat growed from the round ball, like the one we all seen in the meteor stone that fell a year ago, June. Sucks and burns, he said. And it's just a cloud of color, like that light out there now. And he can hardly see, and can't tell what it is. Nahum thought it feeds on everything living 
and gets stronger all the time. He said he had seen it this last week. It must be something from away off in the sky, like the men from the college said last year. The way it's made, and the way it works, ain't like no way in our world. That's something from beyond. So the men paused indecisively as the light from the well grew stronger, and the hitched horses pawed and whinnied in increasing frenzy. It was truly an awful moment with terror in that ancient and accursed house itself. Four monstrous sets of fragments, two from the house and two from the well in the woodshed behind. From that shaft of unknown and unholy iridescence in the slimy depths in front. Tommy had restrained the driver on impulse, forgetting how uninjured he was after the clammy brushing of that colored vapor in the attic room. But perhaps it was just as well that he acted as he did. No one will ever know what was abroad that night, and though the blasphemy from beyond had not so far hurt any human or unweakened mind, there was no telling what it might have done at the last moment, and with its seemingly increased strength and the special signs of purpose it was soon to display, beneath the half-clouded, moonlit sky. All at once, one of the detectives at the window gave a short, sharp gasp. The others looked at him, and then quickly followed his own gaze upward to the point at which its idle, straying hand had been suddenly arrested. There was no need for words. What had been disputed in country gossip was disputable no longer, and it is because of the thing which every man of that party agreed, whispering later on, that the strange days are never talked about in Oricum. It is necessary to premise that there was no wind at that hour of the evening. One did arise not long afterward, but there was absolutely none then. Even the dry tips of the lingering hedge mustard, gray and blighted, and the fringe on the roof of the standing Democrat wagon were unstirred. And yet, amid that tense, godless calm, the high bare boughs of all the trees in the yard were moving. They were twitching, morbidly, and spasmodically, clawing and convulsive, and epileptic madness at the moonlit clouds, scratching impotently any noxious air, as if jerked by some alien and bodiless line of linkage, with subterrane horrors, writhing and struggling below the black roots. Not a man breathed for several seconds, and a cloud of darker depth passed over the moon, and the silhouette of clutching branches faded out momentarily. At this there was a general cry, muffled with awe, but husky, and almost identical from every throat. For the terror had not faded with the silhouette, and in a fearsome instant of deeper darkness, the watchers saw wriggling at that treetop height a thousand tiny points of faint and unhallowed radiance, tipping each bough like the fire of St. Elmo 
for the fires that came down on Apostles' heads at Pentecost. It was a monstrous constellation of unnatural light, like a gutted swarm of corpse-fed fireflies dancing hellish sarabands over an accursed marsh, and its color was that same nameless intrusion which Ami had come to recognize and dread. All the while, a shaft of phosphorescence from the well was getting brighter and brighter, bringing to the minds of the huddled men a sense of doom and abnormality, which far outtraced any image their conscious minds could form. It was no longer shining out, it was pouring out. And as the shapeless stream of unplaceable color left the well, it seemed to flow directly into the sky. The veterinarian shivered and walked to the front door and dropped a heavy extra bar across it. Ami shook no less and had to tug and point for lack of a controllable voice when he wished to draw notice to the growing luminosity in the trees. The neighing and stamping of the horses had become utterly frightful, and not a soul of that group in the house would have ventured forth with any earthly reward. With moments, the shining of the trees increased, while their restless branches seemed to strain more and more. The wood of the well sweep was shining now, and presently, a policeman dumbly pointed to some wooden sheds and beehives near the stone wall on the rest. They were commencing to shine, too, though the tethered vehicles of the visitors seemed so far unaffected. Then there was a wild commotion and clopping in the road, and as Ami quenched the lamps for better seeing, they realized that the span of frantic grace had broke their saplings and run off with the Democrat wagon. The shock served to loosen several tongues, and embarrassed whispers were exchanged. It spreads on everything organic that's been around here, muttered the medical examiner. No one replied, but the man who had been in the well gave a hint that his long pole must have stirred up something intangible. It's awful, he said. There was no bottom at all, just ooze and bubbles, and the feeling of something lurking down there. Mommy's horse still pawed, and screamed deafeningly in the road outside, and nearly drowned its owner's faint quaver as he mumbled his formless reflections. They come from that stone. It groaned down there. It got everything living. It fed itself on them, mind and body. Thad and Bernie, Zenas and Nabby. Now one was the last. They all drunk the water got strong on them, and come from beyond, where things ain't like they are here. Now it's going home. At this point, as the column of unknown color flared suddenly stronger and began to weave itself into fantastic suggestions of shape, each spectator later described these differently. There came from a poor tethered hero such a sound as no man before or since 
ever heard from a horse. Every person in that low-pitched sitting room stopped his ears. Nanami turned away from the window in horror and nausea. Words could not convey it. When Nanami looked out again, the hapless beast lay huddled, inert, on the moonlit ground between the splintered shafts of the buggy. That was the last of Hero until they buried him the next day. But the present was no time to mourn, for almost at this instant, a detective silently called attention to something terrible in the very room with them. In the absence of the lamplight, it was clear that a faint phosphorescence had begun to pervade the entire apartment. It glowed on the broad plank floor and the fragment of rag carpet and shimmered over the sashes of the small paned windows. It ran up and down the exposed corner posts, coruscated about the shelf and mantel, and infected the very doors and furniture. Each minute saw it strengthen, and at last it was very plain that healthy living things must leave the house. Ami showed them the back door and the path up through the fields to the ten-acre pasture. They walked and stumbled as if in a dream, and did not dare look back until they were far away on the high ground. They were glad of the path, for they could not have gone the front way past that well. It was bad enough passing the glowing barn and sheds, and those shining orchard trays with their gnarled, fiendish contours. And thank heaven the branches did their worst twisting high up. The moon was under some very black clouds. They crossed the rustic bridge over Chapman's Brook, and it was blind groping from there to the open meadows. When they looked back toward the valley, and the distant gardener place at the bottom, they saw a fearsome sight. All the farm was shining with a hideous unknown blend of color, trees, buildings, and even such grass and herbage as had not been wholly changed to lethal gray, brittleness. The boughs were all straining skyward, dipped with tongues of foul flame, and lambent tricklings of the same monstrous fire were creeping about the ridgepoles of the house, barn, and sheds. It was a scene from a vision of Fuseli, and over all the rest reigned that riot of luminous amphorousness, and that alien and undimensioned rainbow of cryptic poison from the well, seething, feeling, lapping, reaching, scintillating, straining, and malignly bubbling in its cosmic and unrecognizable chromaticism. Then, without warning, the hideous thing shot vertically up towards the sky like a rocket or meteor, leaving behind no trail and disappearing through a round and curiously regular hole in the clouds. None of the men could even gasp or cry out. No watcher can ever forget that sight. Minami stared blankly at the stars of Cygnus and up, tweakling high above the others, where the unknown color had melted into the Milky Way 
his gaze was the next moment called swiftly to earth by the crackling in the valley. It was just that, only a wooden ripping and crackling, and not an explosion, as so many others of the party vowed. Yet the outcome was the same. Burn one feverish kaleidoscopic instant. There burst up from that doomed and accursed farm an eruptive cataclysm of unnatural sparks and substance, blurring the glance of the few who saw it, and sending forth to the zenith a bombarding color burst of such colored and fantastic fragments as our universe must needs disown. Through quickly reclosing vapors, they followed the great morbidity that had vanished, and in another second they had vanished too. Behind and below was only a darkness to which the men dared not return, and all about was a mounting wind which seemed to sweep down in black, massive gusts from interstellar space. It shrieked and howled, and lashed the fields and distorted woods in a mad cosmic frenzy, till soon the trembling party realized it would be of no use waiting for the moon to show. They would never know what was left down there at Naums. Too odd to even hint theories, the seven shaking men trudged back towards Arkham by the north road. Omi was worse than his fellows, and begged them to see him inside his own kitchen instead of keeping straight on to town. He did not wish to cross the nighted, wind-whipped woods alone to his home on the main road, for he had had the added shock that the others were spared. It was crushed forever, with a brooding fear he dared not even mention for many years to come. As the rest of the watchers on that tempestuous hill had stolidly set their faces towards the road, Ami had looked back in an instant at the shadowed valley. The desolation, so lately sheltering its ill-starred friend. And from that stricken faraway spot, he had seen something feebly rise, only to sink down again upon the place from which the great, shapeless horror had shot into the sky. It was just a color, but not any color of our earth or heaven because Ami recognized that color, and knew that this faint remnant must still lurk down in the well, he has never been quite right since. Ami would never go near that place again. It is over half a century now since the horror happened, but he has never been back there, and will be glad when the new reservoir blots it out. I shall be glad, too, for I do not like the way the sunlight changed color around the mouth that abandoned well I passed. I hope the water will always be very deep, but even so, I shall never drink it. I do not think I shall visit the Arkham country hereafter. Three of the men who had been with Omi returned the next morning to see the ruins by daylight, but there were not any real ruins, only the bricks of the chimney the stones of the cellar, some mineral and metallic litter here and there, and the rim of that nefarious well, save for Ami's dead horse, which they towed away and buried 
the buggy, which they shortly returned to him. Everything that had ever been living there was gone. Five eldritch acres of dusty gray desert remained. Nor has anything ever grown there since. To this day, it sprawls open to the sky like a great spot eaten by acid in the woods and fields. And the few who have ever dared glimpse it, in spite of the rural tales, have named it the Blasted Heath. The rural tales are strange. They may be even stranger if city men and college chemists could be interested enough to analyze the water from that disused well, or the gray dust that no wind seems ever to disperse. Botanists, too, ought to study the stunted flora on the borders of that spot, for they might shed light on the country notion that the blight is spreading little by little, perhaps an inch a year. People say the color of the neighboring herbage is not quite right in the spring, and that wild things have strange prints in the lighter winter snow. Snow never seems quite so heavy on that blasted heath as it is elsewhere. Horses, the few that are left in this motor age, grow skittish in the silent valley and hunters cannot depend on their dogs too near this splotch of grayish dust. They say the mental influences are very bad, too. Numbers went strange in years after Nalum's taking, and always they lacked the power to get away. Then the stronger-minded folk all left the region, and only the foreigners tried to live in the crumbling old homesteads. They could not stay, though, and one sometimes wonders what insight beyond ours their wild, weird stories of whispered magic have given them. Their dreams at night, we protest, are very horrible in that grotesque country, and surely the very look of the dark realm is enough to stir a morbid fancy. No traveler has ever escaped a sense of strangeness in those deep ravines. An artist shiver as they paint thick woods, whose mystery is as much of the spirit as the eye. I myself am curious about the sensation I derived from my one lone walk before Ami told me his tale. When twilight came, I had vaguely wished some clouds would gather, for the odd timidity about the deep sky bay voids above and crept into my soul. Do not ask me for my opinion. I do not know. That is all. There was no one but Ami to question. Farakam people will not talk about the strange days, and all three professors who saw the aerolite and its colored globule are dead. There were other globules, depend upon that. One must have fed itself and escaped. And probably there was another which was too late. No doubt it is still down in the well. I know there was something wrong with the sunlight I saw above that miasmal brink. Rustics say the blight creeps an inch a year. So perhaps there is a kind of growth or nourishment even now. 
whatever demon hatchling is there. It must be tethered to something, or else it would quickly spread. Is it fastened to the roots of those trees and claw the air? One of the current Arkham tales about it. The fat oaks that shine. They move as they ought not to do at night. What it is, only God knows. In terms of matter, I suppose the thing Ami described would be called a gas. But this gas obeyed laws that are not of our cosmos. This was no fruit of such worlds and suns as shine on the telescopes and photographic plates of our observatories. This was no breath from the skies. Those motions and dimensions our astronomers measure or deem too vast to measure. It was just a color out of space, a frightful messenger from unformed realms of infinity beyond all nature as we know it, from realms whose mere existence stuns the brain and numbs us with the black, extra-cosmic gulfs it throws before our frenzied eyes. I doubt very much if Ami consciously lied to me, and I do not think his tale was all a freak of madness, as the town folk had forewarned. Something terrible came to the hills and valleys on that meteor, and something terrible, though I know not in what proportion, still remains. I shall be glad to see the water come. Meanwhile, I hope nothing will happen to Ami. He saw so much of the thing, and its influence was so insidious. Why has he never been able to move away? How clearly he recalled those dying words of Naum's. Can't get away. Drowsy. He knows something's coming, but ain't no use. Ami is such a good old man. When the reservoir gang gets to work, I must write the chief engineer to keep a sharp watch on him. I would hate to think of him as the gray, twisted, brittle monstrosity which persists more and more in troubling my sleep. And this, my darling, ends our story time for today. As always, I hope that you have very sweet and 